anyways, that kind of triggered something in me. Like it just made me snap and something inside me just said, whoa, that's bad. You can never let this happen again. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book where I look at influential 90s musicians and where they are today. I'm Mike Hipple, and on this podcast, we'll dig a little bit deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of the artists I feature in the book. You can get yourself a copy of the book now using the promo code PODCAST15 to get 15% off. Uh, You can find that link on the main page of this podcast. Today's guest is Allison Wolfe. Her influential band, Bratmobile, along with other bands like Bikini Kill and Heavens to Betsy, formed the cornerstone of the Riot Girl movement in the early 90s. Today, she tells us about her path to the alternative scene in her hometown of Olympia, Washington. Just a warning that today's episode does touch on some domestic abuse issues. I grew up in Olympia, Washington, and I remember the time when I kind of went, I don't know what you'd call alternative or new wave, indie, punk, whatever. And it was when I was a freshman in high school and I went to Olympia High School. (laughs) And anyways, um, I remember when my twin sister and I, I have a twin sister, Cindy, And we both um, were kind of nerds in middle school. And I remember when we got to high school, finally, we didn't feel like total nerds anymore and or dorks or whatever, even though my little sister claims that we were still dorks all through high school. But um, we thought we were like getting a little bit more accepted or whatever. And I remember just, uh, you know, getting all of a sudden this attention that we weren't really getting like male attention or whatever. And um, so I guess we started both dating kind of upperclassmen. And I remember thinking that, wow, I finally made it. <laughs> I have a boyfriend who's a junior in high school and a letterman and I'm a freshman. Cool. And anyways, so it, I started going out with this guy. Yeah. And he was a letterman on the swim team. He was yeah two years older than me, which is a big deal in high school, I guess. And we started dating, but he was very prim and proper. He was um, very leave it to beaver. Like when I went to his house, I think his parents were much older, like maybe more like grandparents age or something. And they were very stuck in the 50s, it felt like at that house. And um, so I kind of I always felt uncomfortable over there. Also, like we grew up with not much money and stuff like that in Olympian, especially in middle school, we, you know, were, I guess, pretty poor. So I grew up in a very chaotic household. It was like lesbian mother not much money, not hardly any rules, and no, not much supervision. And she was kind of never home because she had started her own business, the first women's health clinic in town. And um, she was just busy working all the time. Um, So anyways, so it was kind of crazy and chaotic at my house and very, very liberal. So I was, it was kind of a whole different world for me to be going out with this guy, like all of a sudden, besides the attention or whatever I was getting, you know, he drove and he would drive me around and pick me up and drop me off. I mean, my mom never drove us anywhere. And um, he also would take me out to dinner and pay for it. And that's something else that was kind of rare for us. And um, 
yeah so I was kind of like woohoo awesome but I think after a while I realized like okay this guy's kind of boring and super square <laughs> and I just I don't know I didn't even know how to like maybe really first of all be in love or really date or go out with someone at all and I didn't probably have many feelings yet anyways at that time in my life so he was also in the school band, by the way, and I was too. He played uh, saxophone and I played bass clarinet. So I remember at some point, like um, one time him dropping me off after a date early because he had swim team in the morning. And when I got home, my twin sister was waiting for me and she was like, oh, great, you're home. Okay, there's a party in the neighborhood or not far away. So we're going to walk over there and go to it. I've been waiting for you to come back. Oh, okay. So we walk over there, we go to the party, you know, a bunch of actually my boyfriend's friends were there and stuff like that. And then we end up going home. Well, the next day or the next time I talked to my boyfriend, he was like, Hey, I heard you were at so-and-so's party. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. Me and Cindy walked over there and he was like pissed. And he was like, Hey, when I take you on a date and I drop you off, you're home, you're home for the night. Like, you know, like, oh, he owns me and I can't go out again or something. And that was so weird to me. I was just like, what? Huh? What are you talking about? Um, and so I started realizing there were little things like that and that he was pretty controlling. And, um, and again, you cannot tame the wolves. I'll just tell you that much. And <laughs> so I finally was just like, okay, I got to break up with this dude. It's cramping my style. And so one weekend he came over and uh, my mom was not in the house. She was out somewhere. And, but my sister and best friend were home. But anyway, so I broke it off with him. I'm sure I wasn't very smooth or nice about it. Who knows? Just because I didn't know anything about any of this. And um, he was mad and he was yelling at me and stuff. Very tense. And then he left and I think slammed the door behind him. And then I could hear up in my room where everyone always hung out, my sister and our best friend, like, kind of like, whoa, what's going on? So I went up there and told them. And then one of the girls, Sarah, had this really um, kind of nervous laugh. I mean, she wasn't laughing because it was funny, but that's what she always did in response to things. And so she was kind of having her nervous laugh and I was explaining what was going on. And then all of a sudden I hear this yelling through the door from downstairs. Allison, get back out here. And it was my boyfriend, well, ex-boyfriend. And I was like, huh? He came back in. So I walked out of my room and down to see him. And he picked me up by my collar or shirt or whatever. And he shoved me up against the wall. And he was yelling at me, don't you ever laugh at me and blah, blah, blah. Because he thought we were laughing at him because of my friend's nervous laugh. And I was like, no, you know, that's just the way Sarah is, you know, whatever. And anyways, he was just, don't ever laugh at me again and yelling at me again. And then he let me go and he stormed out of the house. But on his way out, he grabbed a pot or a pan off the stove and he hurled it across the kitchen, put a hole in the wall and the handle of the pot also fell off and into the wall or it broke off, <laughs> was in the wall. And the funny thing is, is we continue to use that pot or pan for years after. I don't 
think I witnessed the whole entire thing. I might have just heard noises or whatever. This is Cindy Wolf, Allison's twin sister. They got in some sort of fight upstairs, and then he came down, and he was like the type of guy who would like, you know, like how you, you're not supposed to bitch to like someone's like relatives about somebody. It's like, I'm allowed to bitch about my sister, but you're not. <laughs> you know, I think he was totally, as I remember, the type of guy who would like, well, he was like, you know, kind of a jock, but he would just kind of like, he would do that sort of thing. Like try to badmouth your sister. It was shocking though. You know, like, I don't know, that sort of thing. Like, I don't remember anyone else throwing, you know, pots and pans around my, our house and breaking stuff, <laughs> you know, during high school, it, you know, so. unless it, well, maybe me, but, you know, just <laughs> no, you know, I don't remember any guests coming over and doing that. Anyways, that kind of triggered something in me. Like, it just made me snap and something inside me just said, whoa. That's bad. You can never let this happen again. I mean, at the time, even though I'd been raised by a feminist, I didn't really recognize that as like sexist or violence against women or whatever. But in my mind, I'm just like, that bad <laughs> must avoid. So I just, I don't know. Like, I thought about it and then when my mom came home, she was pissed, asked me what's going on. I must not have told her the full story because otherwise I think she would have marched to his house and freaked out. And he also owes his life to the fact that my mom wasn't home because she probably would have like beat him up or something. Um, so anyways, so, but the thing about it is I think the way I, um, took it was okay that's mainstream society he's a jock a letterman whatever I can't hang out with any of those types of people ever again like I have to just join an alternative crew and I had had this one best friend um, or two best friends really one was new wave named Carla and this other one Christina who was punk and they both had been inviting me out to these punk and new wave things anyways and I just kind of never would really go so all of a sudden I called them up and I'm like, all right, I'm going, we're going out, whatever, you know? And I think one of them took me straight to a thrift store downtown. And then, so I started buying thrift stores like immediately, like probably that weekend. And I started just dressing like, I don't know, kind of new wave, I guess, with like thrift store clothes and a crucifix. And also like me, I don't know, you know, chopped half my hair off, asymmetrical, whatever, crap like that. And I started hanging out at the New Wave Club downtown. Now Olympia's small, so there's like one New Wave Club, one punk club. Um, and then later I started going to punk parties and everything. And so I think I just kind of credit this whole time with at least getting me into alternative like subculture stuff and rejecting mainstream society. I also remember going back to school that Monday and I was wearing like, you know, long underwear as pants and my crazy buttoned up shirt and whatever, like that was from the thrift store. And I remember my boyfriend would scoff at me when I would walk by him or my ex-boyfriend. He would scoff at me when I'd walk by him in band class and I just held my head high. But I also quit band class pretty soon after that because um, I don't want to see him. Um, so anyways, so, but yeah, I really credit that with put, putting me into alternative culture, which, you know, eventually led me to, you know, seeing some girl bands, meeting Kathleen Hanna, Toby Bell, all these people, 
and then having them encourage me to do a fanzine and start a band and stuff like that. Thanks, Allison, for that story. And thanks to Cindy as well for sharing her memory of that time period. Be sure to look for Allison's relaunch of her podcast, I'm in the Band, coming to wherever you listen to podcasts soon. And without further ado, here are some of the things that are inspiring Allison today. Well, I'll start out by just saying that my mother, Pat Shively, um, was probably my biggest influence and, you know, most important inspirations in my life, of course. Um, you know, she like, she really, um, she grew up very poor in um, Omaha, Nebraska, well, Ralston, Nebraska, actually. And she moved to Memphis on her own in some beat up car that uh, I think she like got hit by a drunk driver right before she left. And it didn't hurt her, but the guy just paid her $200 on the spot not to say anything. And that was a lot of money to her then. And so she used that to move to Memphis. And she went to school there, met my dad, and eventually they got married and had us twins. And then they moved to Northern Washington State. And then, um, you know, I guess after about 10 years of being together or something, they uh, divorced. And my dad moved back to Tennessee. And my mom kept us kids. And by then I had a younger sister, too. So there's three of us. And we all, she moved us all to Olympia after going back to school. She was a nurse and she went to nursing school in Memphis. So she went back to school to become a nurse practitioner. And she started the first women's health clinic in Olympia. So we moved to Olympia and she worked really hard. She also, when she um, left my dad, she came out as a lesbian, feminist, hippie vegetarian. I mean, she didn't stay hippie or vegetarian for very long, but, um, but you know, she just had a radical kind of coming out in all these ways. And she became very outspoken, um, you know, for lesbian LGBTQ stuff. And, but also she just really fought for people in general um, who anyone she felt like it was not in the mainstream or being oppressed by society or something. Um, I know that when she started the women's health clinic, she had a hard time finding someone like a bank to give her a loan because back then, I mean, that's like 80 or 81. Um, back then they wouldn't give a loan to a, an unmarried woman. Like they wanted her husband to co-sign and she's like, what husband? So that was hard. She just faced a lot of obstacles that I think we probably, you know, take for granted now or, or that don't exist anymore. Um, also they provided abortions, so she got, um, harassed on the regular, you know, and they picketed and everything. And the cops were always on the side of the picketers, never on her side. And, um, she would go to town hall meetings and things like that and rail on the cops too. Well, you know, they didn't like her too much. And, um, I remember one time my sisters and I, we were driving her car she, and we got pulled over for something. And oh, my God, when they ran the plates, oh, they threw the book at us. And we called mom. We're like, mom. Ah! And she was like, oh, did they run the plates and everything? And we were like, yeah. And she was like, yeah, I just like spoke out against the cops and it was in the paper and everything. I'll pay for it. <laughs> so we were like, ah. Um, 
and uh what else like well she also she had to wear a flap jacket and she brought a glock to work because you know there were so many threats against abortion clinics and stuff like that um but she was a real badass and um inspired us in a lot of ways so you know i was raised very feminist but it's funny how you kind of take it for granted um when you grow up with it so eventually i kind of had to find my own way and that's kind of how things developed with me with riot girl and stuff like that um maybe kind of a more femi take my mom was a butch lesbian so i had to go femi i guess um so that was that that was with my mom and um I'm trying to think. I think she inspired a lot of people in the town. She was kind of like a local hero in, in Olympia. And um, I guess later, I'm trying to think musically, I kind of had a lot of inspirations from, well, first of all, a record that my mom played all the time, Hazel Dickens and Alice Gerard. They were feminist bluegrass um, performers from, from the East Coast. But um, that really inspired me. I, you know, she played it all the time. And then when I started to listen to my own music and stuff, I listened to a lot of Bow Wow Wow and the Go-Go's and Joan Jett in middle school. And so all of those, oh, and B-52s, and all of those musicians really inspired me too, like kind of female musicians doing really kind of fun, quirky, but also, you know, kind of, I don't know. I think Bow Wow Wow gets overlooked a lot, especially the final record, which she did write all the lyrics, Annabelle Lewin. It's really like politicized. If you really read the lyrics, like she's speaking about all these things that came from her real life experiences. So anyways, and um, so musically, those were kind of early inspirations for me. And then I think kind of moving on into what inspired me to think about doing my own stuff, you know, starting my own band, fanzine, all that was um, Kathleen Hanna and Toby Vale from Bikini Kill, and actually Bikini Kill in general, and also joining with Molly Newman from Bratmobile. And, uh, but, but Bikini Kill really inspired Molly and I to start a band and do a fanzine and to kind of be part of a more collective uh, version of, or collective of women in punk and, you know, kind of operate in that way and, instead of with jealousy and competition, you know? So anyways, they're big influences on us. Kathleen and Toby are like, I think they're each like one year older than me. And that's not a lot, but at the time I really looked up to them as kind of like, I mean, older, it sounds weird to say, but you know, inspirations. Um, and Toby also had been around town in Olympia and I'd seen her a lot growing up and in some bands and things. Also Donna Dresch before that, those were the, kind of two female musicians I noticed around town at punk shows and parties and stuff. Um, and let's see, what else? Oh, I would also say that kind of the first wave of punk women um, from the UK and also some in the US were very inspirational to me as well. Um, we have to understand that pre-internet, it was a lot harder to kind of find your foremothers and things like that. Like, you know, you couldn't just look it up or whatever. And it, the records were even hard to get and stuff like that. Also, I didn't have much money to even be buying records early on. And um, 
So I don't know, like, you know, you'd have to go to someone's house and they'd have to tell you about it or make you a mixtape or something. Um, so I remember Rose Melberg from Tiger Trap. She made me a mixtape with a lot of these bands on it. And that really, you know, was super inspirational to me. But also Calvin Johnson would make mixtapes for people and we'd go to Toby's house and she'd play records and stuff. But anyway, so I think of like the slits um, from, you know, first wave UK punk. And um, they were the first all girl band that was punk that I know about, at least from the punk scene. And um, they were just wildly like, you know, they were wild, right? They were just like kind of like going against the grain in the 70s in England. I mean, it was a big deal. You know, they would get beat up on the streets and stuff. They had to go everywhere together as a girl gang because like, like Ari Up got stabbed like twice. And People would just beat up punks in general, but I think especially women who were like dressing, you know, crazy and whatever and speaking out and being kind of like, you know, self-possessed and wild and obnoxious and things like that. And um, I love their music. It was super innovative, super interesting. And um, and then also I think they influenced the Raincoats to start a band soon after and the Raincoats more arty and stuff like that, but also very inspirational. And um, I'm friends with um, Ana Da Silva and I know Gina Birch and Palm Olive. And I just think the raincoats were just also super amazing. All women, very interesting um, music that kind of really uplifted. I don't know when you kind of would talk about um, like the women's, like the inner life and the daily life of women and experiences and stuff like that. Um, and also then, you know, you could look over here, you have people like Patti Smith from that similar era, you know, and Debbie Harry and stuff, great, in New York. But also really inspirational would be Alice Bag in Los Angeles. And she was part of the first wave of punk in LA. And um, I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm friends with her, full disclosure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I remember seeing her um, after watching Decline of Western Civilization uh, film. And that was kind of up in Olympia. People have to realize that the Northwest was really sleepy back then, like in the eighties. And um, so the only way we kind of would see punk was like at a show, if a West Coast band happened to pass through town, a lot of people skipped over the Northwest. Um, and then also just with these kind of like films, like, you know, I don't know, suburbia, God forbid, but decline. And I remember seeing Alice Bag just on stage screaming and decline in the bags and just being like, whoa, wow, that's so cool. And uh, anyways, so there's that. And I would like to say that with Alice Bag brings me to LA. So now I live in Los Angeles and I've been here for like 10, 11 years now. And I think I've always been somewhat impressed by and inspired by Los Angeles punks. And I think the LA punk scene is unique in a lot of ways. And first of all, I just think it's a lot more diverse, especially racially and ethnically diverse um, than a lot of other punk scenes. And um, I've always appreciated that. And I also um, love it because it's really warm down here. It doesn't rain. I grew up in the rain. So I think LA is cool because it never rains. I know that's horrible to say, but anyways. Um, so, you know, you have a lot of really inspiring local punks and Alice Bag, of course, is a major one. 
But also there were, you know, kind of smaller bands of people that I knew um, that were more Riot Girl era. Um, first was, I would say, like Emily Sassy Line. And that was um, Amy and Wendy Yao, right? And Emily, of course, Emily Ryan, who it was sort of named after. And they were just awesome and fun, really creative, funny, witty people. And they would come up to Olympia a lot and stuff when there was like a real connection between the Olympia scene and them. And um, yeah, they're really amazing. I really um, want to interview them for my podcast, actually. And then also there was a smaller band even called Tummy Ache. And that was Raquel Gutierrez and Valentina Silva. And they were best friends. And I have interviewed them. I have interviewed them for... um, kind of for school stuff, but I definitely want to use that and create um, an audio story with that. And they were really inspiring to me. I met them the first time Bratmobile played in LA in uh, summer 1993. We played down here at Jabberjaw and um, playing with the Gits actually. And it was one of the Gits last shows, sadly. Um, And I remember meeting Raquel and she sat on stage with me and helped me sell merch and we just chatted and she was just such a tough girl even then like just was she really inspired me actually then right then right away so um and she's like an amazing kind of like poet and writer and activist now and um anyways they both are really inspirational so um, I guess some slightly more modern inspirations, um, although maybe they're not that modern, but, you know, we've been in COVID pandemic for two years, so I'm out of it. Um, I'm also old, so whatever. Um, but I think compared to a lot of my peers, I still go out more than a lot of my old friends. Um, but so one band that really um, has inspired me is Downtown Boys, and um, they're from Rhode Island. Um, and I don't know, I just like watching downtown boys was like, especially with Victoria Ruiz, who's the lead singer. It's amazing. Like she will start with like this, um, speech, like very politicized speech. And then the band starts in and somehow it just kind of moves seamlessly from the speech into a song. And it's just incredible. And it just has that energy that is so powerful and kind of reminds me of some bands I've heard from the first days of punk or like Riot Girl or whatever or it's really its own thing but anyways but um they're super uh inspirational I mean they have this album called Full Communism you know that's what's going on here and I'm fully behind it so they're awesome and um I think they took a little hiatus and they're starting up again so that's really exciting And then there's also a band from the UK called Shopping, who I love. And um, they're not as like kind of straight up punk, at least musically, but like um, they're kind of almost like more like a dance punk band, but they're really awesome. I interviewed them for um, an episode of I'm in the Band, um, that one of the episodes that was on title and they're just great. I mean, they, had amazing things to say. They're very politicized. And um, I don't know, they kind of really created their own scene in a lot of places where there wasn't one necessarily. And they also worked collectively when they were all in London. I think some of them are in Glasgow now. Anyways, I love them. And then, I don't know, there's also a band French Vanilla that I really love that's a local LA band. And they're kind of like no wave post-punk. 
Um, but they, I just found out they broke up. But anyways, <laughs> I think they're great. And their latest album is really good. And they're like um, kind of like queer post-punk band who have um, also really interesting lyrics and have stage performance and stuff like that. That's it for today's episode. Please be sure to also check out my book, Live Through That, available everywhere now for more stories and photos. Allison kind of sums up exactly what I was trying to do with the book when she told me, you should always have a creative outlet until you die. I don't think there's any time you should really hang it up. And if you like the show, please subscribe so you'll know when the next episode comes out. Thanks so much. See you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.